0: 1 through 25 I titled this is one of those words that is profane in our society today it's one of those words that most people hate despise especially on super bowl or even valentine's day it's equal to both it's this word submission it's one of these words that we take offense to, especially in our culture today. But hopefully, as we go through 1 Peter, you're going to see that there's a superiority to submission. In fact, that's the title for the sermon today, the superiority of submission. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21, it says this, for to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us leaving us an example that you should follow his steps who committed no sin nor was deceit found in his mouth who when he was reviled did not revile in return when he suffered he did not threaten but committed himself to him who judges righteously who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we having died to sin might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. So this morning, Father, as we approach your throne, and I thank you that we can come before you anytime, that we can come before you multiple times, even in the same Sunday, Lord. It's so easy to get caught in the enthusiasm of the world or the things that are going on around us. Lord, I thank you for these, those that are here physically and those that are watching online i ask that you would help us to lay aside those things that may be distracting us from you this morning lord that we would lay aside all those problems and thoughts and plans that we have for the rest of our day or even for the rest of this week we would lay those things aside and submit to you because you are the ultimate example of submission what it truly means to submit knowing who is actually in authority over all and so this morning as we look at this small book i ask that you would speak clearly to us give us wisdom this morning thank you so much for the body of christ the faithful body of christ in jesus name we pray amen and amen i don't know if you've ever read first and second peter but first and second peter are these two small books in the new testament just eight chapters that are written by one of the most famous of the apostles right a guy by the name of peter and of course they were written in his latter days we find that there's multiple words that are repeated in fact even written by peter that are not found anywhere else in the new testament or even in the bible In fact, we see here that this word submission is going to be used seven times in 1 Peter alone, more than any other book in the entire New Testament, more than Paul will write about submission. Peter writes about submission, and it's odd that Peter would write about submission. In fact, those of you that know the person of Peter read about Peter, in the Gospels, find it odd that Peter would be a submissive person. What was Peter known for? Sticking his foot in his mouth at every chance possible. He was the guy with the sword that cut off the priest's servant, wanting to rebel against the system. He was the guy from Galilee who was the rough and tough fisherman that area known for rebellion against the government was known for his hot temper he was known for many a fire that he would have in his voice in fact he could be on fire for the lord one moment the very next moment he could be blasphemous in fact in matthew chapter 16 verse 16 We read this contrast. You've heard this before. You've probably read this hundreds of times. probably know this story. It says in Matthew 16, 16, Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God, that bold statement that Peter made, on fire for the Lord. And Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, the foundation of the faith of the church. And the gates of Hades shall not prevail against this. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom, and whatever you bind on earth, will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And he commanded his disciples that they should tell no one that he was Jesus, the Christ, this affirmation that Peter declared, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, deity incarnate here on the earth, that theological statement that spoke boldly in the time of course, you all know that it doesn't stop there. In the very next verse, what does Peter do? Of course, in our Bibles, there's always a paragraph or some sort of delineation or some sort of man-written words to kind of separate it. Normally we do a sermon just on this one section without reading the context. But in the very next verse, After making this majestic statement, what does Peter do? Put his foot in his mouth. Says something rash. Says something literally blasphemous. Verse 21, from that time, Jesus began showing his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and to be killed and to be raised the third a day, this word suffering that we just read in First Peter, looking back on his life, remembering the suffering that Jesus had to go through. Peter took him aside. Can you imagine this? Of course, he had just been praised for a statement. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. Having this badge on his shoulder, literally understanding that he, oh, I'm the best of the apostles. And of course, I can casually take my Savior aside, reprimand him. You see the contrast here, right? It's easy to be lifted up, and it's hard to fall. Far be it from you, Lord. This shall not happen to you. What does Jesus have to say to the apostle that he had just commended in the previous paragraph he turned and said to Peter get behind me Satan just within a couple of verses just within a couple of minutes of talking going from the commendation of declaring the truth of who Jesus Christ is and now being reprimanded saying get thee behind me Satan you are an offense to me For you are not mindful of the things of God, but of the things of man. This is who Peter was. A walking contrast. One moment, he could be hot on fire for the Lord. And the very next, saying something rash without even thinking about it. A common guy, right? Male. Person who speaks without thinking. This is who Peter was. And of course, 1 Peter, 2 Peter, they're written at the end of Peter's life. He's looking back over his life and he chooses these words that he writes that are unique to Peter on purpose. In fact, in 1 Peter chapter 1 and 2, we read another word that he writes that's unique again to Peter. It says, "Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to the pilgrims of the dispersion." in Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. In sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace be multiplied. He's speaking to the Christians, writing to the Christians that have been dispersed throughout the Roman Empire, because of persecution but that's not the uniqueness there's a word that's used here that's only quoted by peter himself it's this word foreknowledge it's only found here at the beginning of first peter and again when peter gives that amazing pastoral sermon there in acts chapter two In fact, this word foreknowledge is only quoted twice in the Bible, both times by Peter. First in his writing and second in his sermon. I don't know if you've ever had to take theology or maybe had a conversation with someone that had a different theology than you, but foreknowledge is one of those words that divides denominations. It divides people, it divides Christians. It's one of those words that we don't understand because we're finite. We have a limited capacity to understand where God is infinite and is omniscient. In fact, in Acts chapter 2, verse 22 through 23, speaking to those literally thousands of Jews out there that have come, from literally all the known world, there in Jerusalem, on the day of Pentecost, Peter stands up and gives that magnificent sermon, and in the middle of the sermon, he talks about foreknowledge. Specifically, foreknowledge of the Jews and foreknowledge of the Messiah. In Acts chapter 2, verse 22, it says, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did through him in your midst, as you yourself also know. Him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God. There's that word second time. Only spoken by Peter. You have taken the lawless and accusing the Jews. All those people in that crowd, by the way, have crucified and put to death. It's this word that is meant to evoke divinity, it's meant to evoke omniscience. God knew beforehand that you would do this he didn't make you do it but he knew you would do it It's one of those things that's humanly incomprehensible by the way god knew before he chose abraham before he chose the jews that they would be the ones that would crucify jesus christ They would be the ones that would accuse Jesus Christ and shout out, crucify him, crucify him. That they would be the ones that would crucify the Messiah. Why would God choose a people like that? By the way, 5,000 souls are saved. 5,000 souls are saved on that day. Wow. Now, Peter uses that same word again but for himself in 1 Peter. Isn't that amazing? God chose me. God foreknew what I would do before I did it, and he still came along and chose me anyway. The guy with the foot in his mouth, the guy that would be hot one moment and literally blasphemous the next, the guy that would deny Jesus Christ three times, God knew it before he chose him to do it. Wow. The Israelites, you know, those people that were stiff-necked, hard-hearted people, rebellious from the very beginning. And yet God still chose them as a nation. God still chose Peter. And guess what? God foreknew you as well. God knew me as well. Can you imagine just blow us away? Before we even knew ourselves, God knew us, knew the bad decisions and the sins in our lives, and yet he still saved us anyway. Thank God for that. This word submission that we're going to see here multiple times is taken out of context many times. We use it as a badge of authority in many ways in our society. Uh, Peter's going to use it for four different sections of common life, four different parts that that every single person has to deal with in their life. He's going to use this word submission to mean something that goes beyond our cultural standards for what it means. The very first time Peter uses the word submission is in the context of the government. The thing that riles us up, that we see on the news all the time. Paul, of course, uses this word, too, in relationship to the government. In Romans chapter 13, verse 1, Paul writes this just a little bit different context, he uses the word subject. He says, let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And the authorities exist, are appointed by God. The first note, if you are a note taker, is that submission understands Who's actually in authority? This is Peter writing at a time where literally persecution has been happening so much that what we read about at the very beginning of 1 Peter, the Christians have been dispersed because of persecution. The diaspora, the dispersion has taken place. People are fleeing the Roman commonwealth, going to surrounding areas because of persecution. The people in Jerusalem, the church in Jerusalem, has been scattered because of persecution. In fact, during this time, one of the worst kings there, emperors that have ever been in existence, ever reigned, was reigning at this time, a guy by the name of Nero who loved to light christians on fire in his gardens to light him at night who would send christians to the amphitheaters to be devoured by wild animal and peter is saying submit to that government what are you talking about peter but by the way in his younger days would have gladly taken up a sword against the Roman Empire. Who wanted Jesus Christ to ride in on a white horse and overthrow the Roman government. And now in First Peter, he's saying, Submit, submit. First Peter chapter 2, verse 13 through 17, we read what he says, therefore, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the lord's sake whether to the king as supreme or to governors as to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evil doers for the praise of those who do good for this is the will of god whoa very very just bluntly stated this is the will of god Obey the government, submit to the government. Now, again, as we read earlier in Romans chapter 13, there's this understanding that as we submit to the government, who are we actually submitting under? God. Who put all authority in place? From the local level all the way up to the national level. Who has put that authority in place? God has. In fact, that's what he says there in verse 15. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish man. Wow. What does submission do? We're going to see this in every single case, whether it's in the government or in work or in the family. Submission always wins without a word. Submission wins without a word. It is that superior to everything else. The superiority of submission. Now, unfortunately, we misdefine submission so many times. Just a blank check. Anyone that is over us, we have to obey. No. Submission always understands who's in ultimate authority. Who's the one that we actually obey? Any law or a governmental system goes against the laws of God. Of course, we are not called to obey that. The perfect example, if you come on Wednesday nights, we've been going through the book of Daniel. And what did Daniel have to do multiple times? despite the fact that he was friends with the king, not only Nebuchadnezzar, but also Darius as well, two kings from two very different kingdoms. He submitted to them, but when they went against the laws of God, what did he do? He stood up for what was right, or knelt for what was right, ultimately. When the laws were changed, what did he do? Opened the windows and knelt. Open the windows for everybody to see and knelt. Ultimately, having going have to go to the lion's then, or his three friends, you remember them, right? Ananias, Azariah, Misael, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, better known as. What did they do? And everyone else was bowing down to the authority of the king. What did they do? He stood stood for what was right, and ultimately went to the fiery furnace. And of course, you guys know the story. By the way, we just ended chapters 7 and 8 in the book of Daniel, and invite you to come because, you know, I'm not going to be there for the next two weeks. Uh, You guys get to listen to the amazing pastor, Mike Cosby. He's a a really great example of humility and submission in his very own right. And uh, I know you'll be blessed if you come on Wednesday nights to hear him. But it doesn't end there about submitting to the government. What does it say in verse 16? As free yet not using liberty as a cloak for vice. But as bondservant of God. Honor all people. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the king wow this word submission what does it actually mean to understand who's in ultimate authority over all and whom all will have to give an account the governor the mayors the president the king who has to give an account and who do they do it before? The ultimate judge. And if you believe that God is the ultimate judge, can you ultimately submit to who is putting authority? Understanding that there's the ultimate authority of God Himself. This word submission is actually a Greek military term. It comes from the term of understanding who's in ultimate authority. There's divisions of authority within an army. There's divisions of authority. This person submits to this person who submits to this person who submits to that person. It's a division of troops in military fashion under the command of a leader who is in authority. What happens when soldiers don't submit to authority? Is there order in the army? There's chaos, right? When there's no submission, no understanding of authority. Submission does not mean having to obey everything. It's not leaving your brain at the door. Submission understands who to obey, understanding who's actually in charge. Peter and John had to do this multiple times. Again, Peter writing this book, remembering those situations in his life where he did have to not only choose that I have to submit before God there in Acts chapter 4, verse 19. But Peter and John answered and said to them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God you judge. For we cannot but speak the things we have seen and heard. This, of course, after the Jewish authorities telling them, you can't speak anymore about Jesus Christ. What did they have to do? They knew who was an ultimate authority. They knew whom those people that were telling them not to talk about Jesus would have to answer to. The ultimate judge. Submission doesn't mean leaving your brain at the altar. It is not just a blank check. There is wisdom in submission by the way every single time we see a new section it gets harder and harder you think submitting to the government is hard that most of us don't even know the president or the governor or maybe even our mayor and that's some ethereal thing i have to submit to the government it gets closer by the way each time gets harder each time that Peter mentions this word submission in the very next paragraph. He talks about slave, masters and slave, employees and employers, something that we all have to deal with or have had to deal with in our lifetime. It gets closer and closer to home. What does the next paragraph say? servants, be submissive to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and the gentle, but also to the harsh. And we can, it hits home really quickly, all of us can remember a harsh, unfair, maybe even a person that we did not want to work for, a boss who would lord over us. And you read this section and you say, I have to submit to that person? I have to obey that person? Peter's telling me to obey that person? In the context, not only just like in the government where there was a king on the throne that was persecuting Christians, This context goes even deeper than an employee-employer where you're getting a paycheck. This word servant here is the word doulos, which is the word for slave in the Bible. These were masters and slaves, a slave owned by someone until they repaid their debt. I have to submit to those people? Not just the person that treats me fairly, not just the person that that I can please and they reward me for my good deed. They actually appreciate me. No, as it says here, even to the harsh person. The person that treats you unfairly, that doesn't commend you for your good works. In fact, it says that in verse 19, for this is commendable if because of conscience toward God, one endures grief, suffering wrongly. For what credit is it if when you are beaten for your faults, you take it patiently? But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. All those things you do behind the scenes that no one ever sees, Your boss doesn't even see. You're doing it for the ultimate one who is in charge. Who sees your good works? God does. And who are we actually serving? Who are we actually being submissive to? God. Because God gives better rewards, by the way those guys in the back right now that are serving the Sunday school teachers that are going to be serving the kids later in second service. Those are you guys that serve behind the scenes, literally week in and week out. You're not doing it. Get a attaboy or an applause from the pastors. Who are you doing it for? God. He's the one that sees. And we see that in the church context. We understand that in the church context. But what about work as well? Is it the same? Does God still see you at work? Does God still see your submission even at work? Submission is never inferior. Never. Submission is never inferior. Paul would go on to say that slaves and masters are equal in the eyes of God, right? There's a hierarchy in our society depending upon whether how much money you make or your position or your title or whatever it may be. But in the eyes of God, submission is never inferior. In fact, we see at the beginning of this, it's actually superior. The superiority of submission understanding who's ultimately in charge. Galatians chapter 3, verse 28 and 29 describes this very well, much better than I could ever do. It says, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ. In the eyes of Christ, thank God, there is no one inferior. God sees us as all his children. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Who is the ultimate rewarder of what you do in the name of Christ? Does he give better reward? Yes, he does. And does he see all you do in his name's sake yes he does when no one else sees God sees, and he's going to reward you openly it's truly a privilege so submission understands who's in authority submission is never inferior and submission actually wins souls The ultimate example, of course, as we read at the very beginning, is Christ. In fact, right in the middle of all these submissions, starting with the government and then going to the employer-employee relationship, the work environment, each and every single time, understanding that it hits closer to home, who is the one that set the example for us of submission? Peter understood this firsthand, by the way. He was there. He saw the submission of Christ. He saw literally outside of Pilate's house. He saw outside of Herodias's house. He saw outside while Jesus himself was being judged. He himself denying Jesus Christ, by the way, three times right outside that same house. And he saw the submission of Christ. He writes about that, of course. And the section that we read right at the very beginning, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 20, For what credit is if you when you're beaten for your faults, you take it patiently. But when you do good and suffer, you take it patiently as this is commendable before God. For this you were called because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow in his steps. What is the ultimate example of Jesus Christ? Suffering. Submission. You want to know the will of God for your life? It's right here. If you want to follow in the steps of Jesus Christ, it gets harder and harder. Quotes from the Old Testament Who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth. There, as he was being judged, Peter watching from that nice warm fire, seeing Jesus Christ beaten and scorned. The crown of thorns put on his head, the beatings that he had to go through, the submission of Jesus Christ. Now writing about it, and yet judged ultimately as the Lamb of God, who would take away, as you all know, the sins of the world. Why was he judged so harshly? Because he was found blameless. He was found blameless. Right? That's exactly what it says there in verse 23. Who, when he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to one who judges righteously. Who is the ultimate judge? Who is the ultimate one that we submit underneath? God. himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree that we might, having died to sin, might live For righteousness, that great exchange, my sins for his righteousness, his righteousness for my sin. Was that unfair, by the way? It benefits us very greatly. What did Jesus have to do? He suffered. He submitted. Submitted ultimately to the cross. By whose stripes you are healed. That's the ultimate healing, not some physical healing. It is a healing of the soul. It is the taking away of sin, not just the covering up, but the taking away of sin. Why? Because Jesus submitted to the cross. Jesus suffered for you and for me. In fact, that's exactly what it says in verse 25. For you were like sheep gone astray but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Jesus won souls by submitting to the will of God. And of course, we must be imitators of that same submission. Again, it gets harder and harder each and every section. Those of you that are already reading ahead know, government, I have to submit to the government. My employer, I have to submit to my employer. And now it really hits home. Family. Whoa. That's hard. By the way, Peter understood all three of these. Gonna understand the last one as well. Submission wins without a word. Submission wins without a word. Look at how it describes it. It's just absolutely beautiful. It's absolutely amazing. What does it say in the very first verse of chapter three? And again, we're reading this straight through. We're not taking this apart by by sections. We're understanding the submissiveness of Christ. We are the ones who obey Jesus Christ. He is our example of submission. Submission is not inferior. Submission doesn't leave your brain at the altar. Chapter 3, verse 1, it says this, Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, they, without a word, without a single word, may be won by the conduct of their wives. Wow. How superior is submission? Be able to win without a single word. Those of you that are married understand this. Silence can speak volumes, right? Silence can be very loud at times. Understand that the person that I'm submitting to has an authority over him. Look what it says there. and of course it gives examples verse two when they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear do not let your adornment be merrily outward arranging the hair wearing gold or putting on fine apparel rather let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorrigible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit which is very precious to in the sight of God who is the ultimate authority the power of submission where submission can win without a single word transforming the life of a person very depths of their very being where the beauty on the inside is greater than the beauty on the outside of course Peter as you all know He himself was married. Jesus would take his disciples to Peter's mother-in-law's house. So what does that mean? If you have a mother-in-law, there's only one way to have a mother-in-law, by the way. Peter was married, right? It was Jesus that healed Peter's mother-in-law there from that horrendous headache that she had. And then, of course, stayed in the house for a while. Can you imagine this Peter understanding what it means to submit to the government, understanding what it means to submit underneath an employer, and then in his own home as well, ultimately understanding whom he himself had to submit to? Because who does the husband have to submit to? God, who does the husband answer to? God. For in this matter, in foreign, or former times, the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves, being submissive to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are, if you do good and are not afraid with any terror. The conduct of a godly wife is more powerful than the most eloquent sermon of the greatest preacher on the planet. Being able to win without a single word is our pastor's wife Lee, Joy, Flea, Kim. Pastors get the titles. Do the women behind the scenes get the accolade? But they're behind the scenes. Doing so many things. It's those amazing people that serve in the Sunday school building that take care of the kids, by the way, Vanessa, the Sunday school teacher that serve behind the scenes. It's the elder's wife. That serve behind the scenes without the applause. Without all the accolade. Who sees? Who reward? Conduct. James chapter 4, verse 7, it says, Submit therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Submission is never subservient, subhuman, subordinate, slavery, violence, abuse, or stupidity. It's never in any of those things. Submission is strong. Submission is beautiful. Submission is humble, intelligent, complimentary, desires to win her husband, and it's intentional. The superiority of submission. Of course, he doesn't leave the husbands out. But by the way, in in every single other instance of the husband and wife relationship, it, especially in the Book of Romans and the Book of Ephesians, Peter always says, "Husbands, love your wives, honor your husbands." Okay, uh, but Peter flips that because in the very next verse seven, he says this: "Husbands, likewise, with him with understanding, giving honor to the wife." Wow. He understood what that meant. Compliment your wife. Honor your wife. Why? Because she's being an example to you of following Christ, who is the ultimate example of submission. Give honor to the wife as to the... A weaker vessel or the more beautiful vessel or the more valuable vessel or the more fragile vessel that that beautiful vase that can crack really easily but is more valuable than anything else in the house being heirs together of the grace of life that your prayers may not be hindered what happens when god judges the husband When God doesn't, or when the husband doesn't do that with his wife, literally not even hearing the prayers of the husband because of how they treat their wife. Wow, that's scary. The example of submission. The last one is, submission is an attitude of spiritual maturity. Because those that, you know, are immature in Christ, don't understand submission. It's those that are mature. And of course, just like Peter, he understood this. When he was immature, he acted rashly. He spoke whatever he, immediately, without any filter, coming out of his mouth. And now, being an older person, he understands this. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 5-9. through nine. Likewise, you younger people, submit yourself to your elders, again, leaving no one out. And again, hitting close to home. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility, for God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble, who is against you when you don't submit. God. Ultimately, God. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time who is the best ju- who is the best one to be able to lift you up and by the way it's always at the perfect time as it says here in the perfect time god exalts because he sees all the things you do for his namesake he rewards Casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Does God care for you than any other person on the planet? Does God care for you more than anyone else? Yes, he does. And does he see? Does he see you? By the way, did he die for you? Because he submitted to the will of God. Verse 8, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. That proud nature that is, and the very antithesis of what it means to submit Because what does Satan try to do? What was the very first sin? What did Satan do there in heaven itself? He himself, being uh, the most beautiful of all the angels, what did he want? the accolade. He didn't want to submit. Ultimately being cast out of heaven, pride, his downfall, as all of you know, What does he try to do? Going about as a roaring lion. Try to get people to do the exact same thing as he did. Rebelling, not submitting to the will of God. Resist him steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brothers in the world. There's nothing new under the sun. Other people have to go through the same suffering that we do. And sometimes, and most times, even to a greater extent. We are blessed in this country. Humility is never great or too great to serve. Submission knows who is stronger to carry. Submission paves the way for resisting the devil. When I submit, I resist the devil, and as it says there in First Peter, he flees. Our ability to resist temptation is directly proportionate to our submission to God. because when I'm submitting to God, whose authority am I under? When I'm close to the Lord, when I'm literally understanding who I am in proximity to, whom I am attached to, Satan flee, because I'm under the authority of Christ. I am submitting to him. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11, it says this, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. What was the submission that Christ had to go through? The cross. Understanding who is in ultimate authority. The example for us, by the way. And if you know the story of Peter, what did submission for Peter ultimately come to? Oh, greater than submission to the government, greater than submission to a person who is a boss and an employer, greater than even in submission in the family. For Peter, submission meant the cross as well. There in John chapter 21, verses 18 through 19, most assuredly I say to you, when you were younger, this is Jesus Christ speaking to Peter, again, foreknowledge, knowing what Peter would have to go through. Murder's death. Telling him what he was going to have to do and by by the way despite the fact that he betrayed jesus christ and jesus foreknew that he would do that foreknew what would be the ultimate end and yet still chose him as one of the 12 apostles wow it chose him even as the inner three one of those three that would get to see the transfiguration of jesus christ and lived to tell about it. Got to see many things that Jesus did, the miracles that he did, the words that he said. Jesus told him this, when you were younger, you girded yourself up, walked where you wish, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. This he spoke signifying by what death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. Follow me. Are you still going to submit knowing what the end is going to be? Know, knowing what's going to happen to you. Are you still going to follow me? The superiority of submission ultimately understands who's in authority. It's God. Peter had to watch his wife be crucified. They're on Vatican Hill. And throughout her agony, what did he shout? And Many of you know this. He had to say, remember Christ as she was suffering there on the ground. And then he himself, understanding that he wasn't even worthy to die as a Savior died, asked to be crucified upside down. What does submission mean? For Peter, submission meant the cross. As he was crucified downward. But it's the same for us, too. We know this. We say it many times. We hear it many times. Chapter 9, verse 23, And he said to them all, not just to Peter, not just to the apostles, not just to those in that time, but to us as well, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me David. Wow. wow. What does submission mean? What is the ultimate end of submission? Understanding who's an authority higher than the government, higher than your boss, higher than your husband, higher than those that we serve under. Who is the one in ultimate authority? And who is the example for us of submission? It's Jesus Christ. There's an amazing hymn. In fact, in the last two verses of this hymn, it says perfect submission both times. Perfect submission, perfect submission. When we sing this song, pay attention to those words. Please stand with me. We're going to sing this amazing hymn. I love this. I'm going to read the second verse just quickly. Perfect submission, perfect delight. Visions of rapture. i burst on my side. Angels descending, bring from above. Echoes of mercy, whispers of love. Don't just make it words. Actually understand it. Blessed
1: assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation, purchase of God. Born of His Spirit, washed in His blood. Oh, this is my story, this is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long this is my story this is my song praising my savior all the day long listen to it perfect submission perfect delight visions of rapture now burst on my sight. angels descending Ring from above, echoes of mercy, whispers of love. Oh, this is my story. This is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story. This is my song, praising my Savior all the day long perfect submission all is at rest i and my savior am happy and blessed watching and waiting looking above filled with his goodness lost in his love oh this is my song Praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. And So
0: Father, this morning as we all go our separate ways, there's so many things that buy for our attention, Lord. Help us to focus upon you. The ultimate example of what it means to submit. Uh, The superior nature of submission in your very life, Jesus Christ. So for us, we go throughout our day, each of our lives being unique, each of our situations being unique. Help us to look to you for the example of this truly hard attitude that goes against everything in our society today. Lord, help us to ultimately submit to you. Help us to see your example, your ultimate example of the cross and see what you did for us, Lord. Knowing beforehand what we choose and yet still loving us and dying for us thank you lord thank you lord so i i ask you lord please bless these my friends and my family use us for your today in jesus name we pray amen and amen god bless you thank you for being here this morning
1: awesome i
0: have one job up here and john takes at the last song he does everything in our church